can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to come and hear from you and that you're still speaking to us through your word and through the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would teach us, convict us, move us to wherever you want us to go. May your Holy Spirit be here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I experienced a tornado warning my first day on the job here. I had come into work and I was feeling pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd met with Pastor Dana. We had talked. I had unpacked all my books. My library looked beautiful. And I sat down and I began to read through the book of Acts. And then my phone vibrated. Maybe some of you had this same experience. My phone vibrated and it was a warning message. It was a warning message for a tornado in Middlesex County. And uh, it said, uh, tornado warning, take cover now. And I had no idea what to do. I thought, surely this must be a mistake. I'm not prepared for a tornado. Dana and I didn't cover the tornado policy together this morning. <laughs> I thought maybe I could hide underneath my desk if uh, a tornado came. And I certainly did not want to stop studying. But then I thought, well, maybe the Lord was trying to teach me something. Not just about, you know, tornado safety, but about His Word. Because it's kind of ironic, the exact place where I was reading in Acts when I got the tornado warning is where we are today. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. If you know anything about Pentecost, there's a rushing wind and it fills a house. And it's almost like a, tor a tornado fills this upper room where the 120 disciples are. And then flames of fire, tongues of fire come down and rest on the individual believers. It comes on the church. And then they go out and they witness about God. They preach the good news about God in Jerusalem and at the temple. And part of me wonders if they felt a little like I felt when the tornado uh, showed up and there was a warning for a tornado. I felt nervous, and I wonder if they felt nervous. I wonder if their first response was, well, this must be a mistake. Or if they wanted to hide. But if they were afraid, it didn't last long because they went out and they preached the good news. God made them into his perfect witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, something happened, and they became the perfect witnesses of God. Well, the Holy Spirit also makes us the perfect witness. The Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness. But maybe you're wondering who the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit does. Maybe you have some doubt that if you do go out and share the good news, the Holy Spirit will show up. Or maybe you don't even believe there is a Holy Spirit or a God. Well, our text talks about many of these topics this morning. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at, the sound of, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own tongue. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what did God give to the new believers at Pentecost? What did God give to them? Who did he give? God gave the witness of his Holy Spirit. God gave the church his Holy Spirit. Now, we read last week in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus prophesied that the Holy Spirit would come. God promised that the Holy Spirit would come, and here in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming on Jerusalem. That, uh, that prophecy in verses 6 through 8, when Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And if you track the, the, the progress of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, he follows that same outline, and it begins here in Jerusalem. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit arrives in chapters 2 at Pentecost, and then again at chapters 4, at chapter 4 with Peter preaching. The Holy Spirit reaches Ju Jerusalem and then the greater region of Judea. And uh, we see that with Peter's preaching, and then after 2 and after 4, he comes to Samaria. Peter goes to Samaria, he lays hands on the believers, and the believers receive the Holy Spirit. And then from Samaria, in chapter 8, he goes to Caesarea, in chapter 10, to the Gentiles, to Cornelius. And he preaches the good news, and then the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, that does not make Peter the first pope. But it does give him a unique gift that only belongs to Peter. And we see that exercised in the book of Acts. So that as Peter goes and preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit works with him. And he unlocks the kingdom first 
with the Jews at Pentecost, and then it goes to Samaria, and then it goes to uh, Caesarea, it goes to the Gentiles. And it was done. Peter did his job. And so, because Peter unlocked the kingdom, he unlocked the Holy Spirit for us, we too can receive the Holy Spirit today. That when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we don't have to wait for something to happen. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and and becomes a witness to us. God gave the church, He gives believers, and He gives His church the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean that we are to be a witness through the power of the Holy Spirit? What did it mean for the disciples to go out and to witness through the Spirit? God gave us the witness of the Spirit. And we read about what that looks like in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we see... Uh, so, so what is this thing called tongues? What does it look like in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost? Well, we can see in verses 6 and 11 what it is here. And they were each hearing them speak in their own language. In verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, this was probably an exciting event, maybe ecstatic event where the Holy Spirit comes and the people are filled with joy and they're excited and they're preaching the good news. But it's also an orderly event. Because we can see in verse 4 that they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it wasn't just everyone speaking at once. The Spirit gave them utterance, then they would share the message. And it's also a comprehensible event. People could understand what they were saying. It wasn't just babble, it was actual messages given to them. Verse 11, where it says, We were hearing them tell in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They could understand them. So the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers them and and they witness to the other people. And and if we look through the rest of Acts, we actually see uh, a lack of pattern. Because here in in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is comprehensible. They can understand what what, uh, the people are saying when they speak in tongues. But in other chapters, sometimes they can understand what they're saying in the tongues. Other times they can't. 1 Corinthians 14, you don't understand what they're saying except for the interpreters. Other times the Holy Spirit comes and they simply witness and they extol and they praise God. And other times the Holy Spirit comes and the text leaves it at that. It says the Holy Spirit came in power and it doesn't explain what that means. So I think scripture doesn't give us a set, uh, a set structure because it doesn't want us to put the Holy Spirit in a specific box. It doesn't say, you know, just because we see it happen once doesn't make that the rule. It doesn't have to happen exactly like that every time. And for us today, that means we need to take a step back and look at what the Holy Spirit is doing, at His witness. And when we take a step back, we can see that God sends the Holy Spirit on the believers to aid their witness. And that today, He sends the Holy Spirit to aid our witness, to aid us. He sends the Holy Spirit to aid our internal witness, first confirming the word about Christ, so we can put our faith in Christ, and then he gives us an external witness so that we can go out and share the good news with those around us. God gives us the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? 
That's an interesting word, Pentecost. Why did the Holy Spirit come then? Well, Pentecost is a Jewish festival. It's also called the Festival of First Fruits. And, and at the Festival of First Fruits, the people of Israel would come together and they would offer the first fruits of the harvest to the Lord, of the wheat harvest, as an offering to God. And Pentecost took place 50 days after the Sunday following Passover. Now think back to Passover. Okay, you got Passover, and then what happens right after that? Sunday. Anything important for us, it's the resurrection of Jesus. And then 40 days later, it's the Mount of Olives, and he arises into heaven, he ascends into heaven, and then 10 days later, we're at where we are right now. We're in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 in the original language. So 50 days later, the Holy Spirit shows up on a day meant to celebrate the harvest. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit brings the harvest. There is about to be a new harvest. The Holy Spirit is about to open wide the floodgates of the harvest as new believers throughout the entire New Testament are about to pour into the church. We have the same Holy Spirit today, and we still have access to the harvest of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the harvest. When you go out this summer on missions trips, maybe some of you are going, you're going to Connecticut or you're going to Russia or New Hampshire or uh, Haiti, take confidence that the Holy Spirit is going with you and the Holy Spirit brings the harvest. The Holy Spirit can bear fruit. Maybe you're not going anywhere and you've just been praying for someone or you've been sharing about Jesus with a friend. Well, know that the Holy Spirit brings the harvest. So make sure that we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to join with us. And so that we join with the Holy Spirit and we're working together. The Holy Spirit brings the harvest. Now I once worked on a ranch for 128 days. Now I haven't told you guys this story, but I'm excited to tell it to you. It's our second weekend, so it's about time. And uh, I worked on a ranch for 128 days, and, I, and it was 128 days because it felt longer than just your average summer. Now, it wasn't numbered because of the beautiful blue Colorado skies, or the, the rolling weather, or the, the lovely chickens and intelligent cows. No, it was numbered because I was allergic to the work. I am allergic to hay and pretty much every single farm animal there is. And so that summer, I persevered, I kept going, I kept pressing through, and I worked hard preparing for the harvest that fall. But I didn't really want the harvest to arrive. Because when the harvest arrived, my boss asked me to get on the back of a tractor, and we went and harvested the hay for the farm animals, for the ranch animals. And so, picture this scene. My boss is on a tractor. Uh, there's like a little stand behind it, and then there's the hay baler right behind that. And I was right in the middle of the two. And the hay baler had claws, and it would claw the ground and pick up the hay, and then I would throw the hay bale. Uh, and so I was right between the tractor and the hay baler's claws. I was pretty sure that if I fell underneath that, I was going to die. But I was also pretty sure that if I stayed where I was, I was also going to die. Because I was sneezing and my face was watering, I looked like a train wreck. I went home and got sick for a week from my allergies. And the lesson I learned is that if you're allergic to the harvest, don't volunteer to help with the harvest. <laughs> I did not want the harvest that fall. 
Do we at Emmanuel want the harvest of the Holy Spirit here? Do we want the harvest? Maybe we say that we want the harvest of the Holy Spirit, but then we don't want to be harvesters. Maybe we say that we want sinners to walk through our door, non-believers, but then all, in all reality, we act like we're allergic to them. Maybe we say we want the presence of the Holy Spirit here in our church, but are unwilling to do what the Holy Spirit asks us to do. The Holy Spirit brings the harvest. Are we willing to join the Holy Spirit? But what will the harvest be like? How will people respond? What will people think of our witness? Well, many will doubt the Holy Spirit's witness in us. Many will doubt the Holy Spirit's witness in us. We see in verses 5 through 13 that the people from all over the world, from all the different nations, they hear the good message about Jesus. They, they hear the gospel, and yet they find it difficult to believe. It says even that they heard it in their own tongues. They heard it in their own language, languages. These, these Galileans were speaking different languages. It was a miracle right in front of them, and they still couldn't believe. They still couldn't bring themselves to a place of repentance and faith. So uh, sometimes I, I think that if you know, only I could perform miracles and then share about Jesus, people would believe, well, don't count on it. Because even here in this text, they don't believe, and a miracle is happening right in front of them. And I think it's not only that they don't understand you know, it says, it says in verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking and said, They are filled with new wine. It's not only that they don't understand, but they don't want to understand. The believers uh, in the New Testament are witnessing, and their culture doesn't want to believe. Doesn't sound much different from our culture. Culture today discredits Christianity. Not only because it doesn't want to under, it doesn't understand, but it doesn't want to understand. They don't want to hear the message. I was listening to a, a podcast by Reasonable Faith this week, and they were talking about some of uh, today's um, anti-Christian figures. And one of those uh, prominent thinkers is Richard Dawkins. He is uh, at the forefront of intellectual atheism. He likes to refer to God as the flying spaghetti monster or the garden fairy. And he makes some valid points that there is evil in religion, that you see throughout the world, you see people that profess to be Christians or Muslims or Hindu or some other faith doing evil things. But the problem comes when he says some things are done that are evil in the name of religion, therefore all religion is evil and all religion is false. That's simply not true. Because you can, make the mis you can make mistakes in the name of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't change whether Christ's message is true or not. To, to argue this way is to just come, come up with an excuse to ignore the truth claims of Christianity and what it really means and what it is really saying. I think it's interesting that even though he recognizes the presence of evil, how did he understand that it was evil in the first place? Where did his moral conscience come from? 
Where did he know the difference from between right and wrong? Because if all we have is natural selection, there is no good and there is no evil. There are just socially acceptable standards we should probably abide by. This does not ring true. We know that we are moral creatures because a moral God created us. And this is who God calls us to witness to. It's not one man. It's millions of people who have bought into this, this framework, this philosophy. So God calls us to, to be his witness for him. He calls us to share the good news, to share it with others, even if they're struggling. But many will doubt the witness of the Holy Spirit. But how good is the Holy Spirit's witness in us? Wouldn't it just be easier if God sent his Holy Spirit and didn't bother with us? Because we seem pretty messed up. Well, the Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness. The Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness. The Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness. Peter tells us in verses 4 through 21 that God always intended to send his Holy Spirit. This was always the plan. From the very Old Testament, God was sending the Holy Spirit. And we can look back. Peter quotes the prophet Joel. Joel was an Old Testament prophet. And Joel wrote in about 586 B.C., the 6th or 7th century. It's debatable. But he wrote over 600 years before Acts happened. And then Acts come and Acts fulfills the prophecy in Joel. Joel promised that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and that uh, your young men and your young women would prophesy. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the spirit being poured out and we see, uh, we see prophecy taking place in the new church. And this is a reliable account. Maybe you're saying, well, this didn't even happen. Well, Acts chapter 2, it records the people that doubted. It records those that, that didn't believe, that saw it and thought it was crazy. And that's the mark of a true account. Because if you were making up an account, you would just write it and say, everyone believed. This is an historical account. This actually happened. So God planned 600 years before the church, uh, well, for all time, but he revealed it 600 years before the church that he would send his Holy Spirit. And then 2,000 years later, we still receive this same Holy Spirit. If you put your faith in Christ, put your life in Christ. God could have sent his Holy Spirit by himself, but he didn't want to. He wanted to use you, and he wanted to use me by the power of his Holy Spirit. He wants to make us adequate. He wants to make us something so that we can preach the good news. Because on our own, we are too sinful, we are too alone, and we are too desperate. But with the Holy Spirit speaking through us, we are God's perfect witnesses. The Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness. But how long are we to witness for? How long must we continue to witness in a culture that does not believe. Well, the Holy Spirit is a gift for now, but he is a judgment soon. The Spirit's witness is a gift for now, but a judgment soon. Like I said, Joel was an Old Testament prophet, and he was writing to an Old Testament time period. He was writing to Israel, to Judea, 
And he, uh, if you read through Joel, it's about a locust plague. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, a locust plague in that time would wreck the economy. It would wreck their civilization and their, uh, their society. And he is saying, well, this isn't even the worst of it because an actual army like locusts is going to come and it's going to be God's judgment on you if you do not repent, if you do not put your faith in God and obey his commandments. He is warning them and he is warning them uh, severely. And so when Peter quotes Joel, he quotes a selection from Joel. So we have to go back and say, well, why did Peter choose the selection that he chose? Acts 2, 17 through 21 is a direct quotation from Joel 2, 28 through 32, verse part A. It's through the first half of the verse in Joel. Joel has a chapter 2, and it goes 32 verses, but for some reason... For some reason, when Peter quotes Joel, he leaves out the very ending part of the last verse, the last half. I'm going to read that half to you. Joel 2.32b ends, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, and as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The rest of the verse talks about those who escape and survivors. I think that Peter didn't quote this last half of the verse because the final judgment has not come yet. That God sent his Holy Spirit, but for now, at the church, and and today, we are living in the in-between time. Where the Holy Spirit has come in grace and as a witness, but one day he will come as a judge. And remember, Christ, when Christ died on the cross, the the sun was darkened and and the earth shook. And we see those, those, that same imagery in Acts chapter 2 as he quotes Joel, that one day God will come, that Christ will come, and he will come in judgment. And the sun will darken, and the world will shake. And if you have denied the Holy Spirit, if you have denied God, God will deny you. Don't deny the Holy Spirit. Don't deny God. His grace is too great. His love is too wide. The Holy Spirit is a gift for now, but he is a judgment soon. Now, I preached my candidating sermon here about a month ago on June 16th. And as part of that sermon, I shared a story about getting to share the gospel uh, when I was in Croatia. And after that, a few of you came up and shared uh, stories with me of times that you got to share a witness, that you got to be a witness for the Lord. And one of those stories belongs to Ron Trombley. And I asked him if I could share, and he said I could. And I'm going to share this story, not so you can say how great Ron is, but how great God is, how great the Holy Spirit is, and so that you can be encouraged by his story. Now, Ron was on a business trip in the Upper Peninsula. Now, I had no idea where the Upper Peninsula is. I know Jason Chambers knows where it is. It's in northern, northern Michigan. And he was on their business trip, and he was flying back down to Chicago, and he had several stops, and he got on the plane. It was a full-sized plane, and uh, there was no one on the plane. There was more uh, of a crew. The crew was larger than the actual passenger list. And so he got on and sat down, and the, the plane took off, 
And the flight attendant walked by, and apparently Ron had a grin on his face because she said, why do you look so happy? And he said, well, it's because I have Jesus in my life. He thought, well, where did that come from? <laughs> He's just like us. He wouldn't expect that to happen. He wouldn't expect that to come out of him. But the Holy Spirit was at work. And, and, she, sat, and she sat down next to him and said, tell me more. And so for the next hour and a half, two hours, he got to share the good news about Jesus. And he said Bible verses were flooding out of him. He didn't know where they were coming from. But the Holy Spirit was giving him scripture. And the plane stopped about three or four times. It would land and she'd have to go away. But then no one would get off or on the plane. And then the plane would take off and she'd come back and sit down and they'd keep talking. And Ron said that morning uh, at the hotel, he, he picked up a copy of the Four Spiritual Laws. He doesn't know why he did that. He just did it. Didn't, it wasn't like he needed another copy. And a local church had placed the Four Spiritual Laws in the hotel. And, uh, and so he got a chance to give that to her. And apparently they had put their contact information on the four spiritual laws, and that church was in the same hometown as the flight attendant. Isn't God good? And by the end, uh, this woman put her faith in Christ, and apparently she was crying, and people were giving Ron weird looks. <laughs> but that's okay, because the Holy Spirit was at work. The Holy Spirit, through Ron, made him his perfect witness. And we can be God's perfect witnesses today. This story happened a while ago. And I want to hear new stories of how God is working in us as a church to be his perfect witness. God used Ron. I want him to use me. And he can use you as well. The Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness witness. The Holy Spirit in us is God's perfect witness. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit, that you have sent your Spirit upon us. We receive your Holy Spirit as a gift, that he enables us to witness to the world, that he enables us to be your perfect witness. We love you, Lord, and we want to see you work in our lives to be your witness. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom Taylor has a quick announcement, and then I'll give the benediction. This is from the Board of Elders. This week, serious allegations involving a regular attendee of Emmanuel Church have been made public. In order to prevent the spreading of gossip, please address any legitimate concerns directly to either myself or any one of the elders. I pray that would be true. Thank you. Please rise for the benediction. Romans 15:13 says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing." so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go with God. Amen.